our appeal to the gentle shepherd to lead us. It's uh, fitting as we go to his word that he, we would ask for his leading and guiding into his word and understanding as we study it together. Let's pray and ask for that right now. Let's echo what we just sang. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the gentle shepherd that you've given us in, in Jesus Christ who came to give himself for us, to give his life for the sheep. Father, we come before you this morning asking for your hand of guidance and hand of wisdom, direction. And we thank you that as followers of Christ, for those who are in Christ, have the Holy Spirit, who have the indwelling of the gentle shepherd. So, Lord, use the Holy Spirit and lead us into your wisdom, into your truth today as we look at the word and study it together. Challenge our hearts with the truths of your word that we would leave this place realizing that we need to grow up in Christ and grow up in you and walk with Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Has anyone ever heard of or cared for, you've heard of, I'm sure you've heard of, bonsai trees, right? I knew you were going to say that. I looked it up one time. If you want to say it right, it's bonsai. But... If you want to say it like everybody else says it, it's bonsai, right? So we'll say bonsai tree. Picky, 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 right? (laughs) Anybody ever hear of a bonsai tree? Anybody have a bonsai tree? I see one hand. I got interested in bonsai trees one one time. That's how I learned how to pronounce the word, you know. I got interested in bonsai trees and I looked them up and I thought, what's so special about bonsai trees? How come, you know, they're so, they're so cool. They're little, dinky trees. And when I learned, Barb, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think I learned this, all right, since she's our one resident bonsai tree caretaker. Um, What I learned was that bonsai trees really are no different than any other tree. They're just like a tree that you might have in your yard. What makes them different is their surroundings being a very shallow pot, a very small and a very, especially very shallow pot. If you ever look at bonsai paraphernalia, you'll notice that all the pots are very shallow. It stunts the growth of the tree so that it can't grow too large. It's actually a product of stunted growth, right? My parents used to tell me, like your parents told you, you can't drink coffee. That'll stunt your growth. Didn't work. It still doesn't work. I keep drinking coffee trying to help slow down the process, the growth process, but it keeps, I keep growing. Some of us have that problem, right? But the growth of a bonsai tree is intentionally stunted, isn't it? It's put in a small pot. Take that, you could take a little maple tree and you could put it in a small pot and you could call that a bonsai tree and care for it and it would never grow much taller than your, your hand take that same seedling, instead of putting it in, in, in the shallow pot, take it out and put it in your yard where it's going to get lots of sun and rain and plenty of nutrients from the nutrient-rich soil. And that maple tree could grow large enough so that your children or grandchildren could swing from its branches. The same tree, the same seedling in the pot, no bigger than, than that. Amazing, isn't it? I read recently of a young man who dives for exotic fish for aquariums to sell to pet stores He noted that one of the most popular aquarium fish is this. Do you know what it is, the most popular aquarium fish? 
What was that? Tetra? What, what he said was that a shark is a very popular A shark is a very popular fish for aquariums. And he noted that you can take a small, a small immature shark from the ocean, put it in an aquarium, and it will grow to full maturity. Now, I thought, you know, well, you know, shark grows to full maturity. You're going to need a big, big aquarium. Not so. It will, it will be constrained to the size of the aquarium that you put it in. So if a shark can grow to full maturity in your aquarium, in whatever size aquarium you put it in. Take it out of the aquarium, put it in the ocean, and it grows to eight feet. Amazing, isn't it? I tell you that because the same can be true of a believer. The same can be true of a believer, a Christian who has very little room to grow, very little exposure to proper spiritual nutrients is going to be stunted in their growth. Now, we wouldn't do that intentionally, would we? Sometimes we do it, but we wouldn't say we do it intentionally. See, very little exposure to proper spiritual nutrients will stunt the growth of a believer and will cause to a lacking of spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding and spiritual practice. But for the believer, unlike the bonsai tree, unlike the shark in the aquarium, which have no control of their surroundings, a believer's growth has more to do with the choices that he or she makes. You realize that, don't you? The bonsai tree, the shark, they they have no control over where they grow up. But the believer does. The believer makes choices about what they will be exposed to, what nutrient-rich soil they will put their roots into, what kind of pot will constrain them, what kind of aquarium they'll live in, or whether they decide to live in the ocean or not, right, spiritually speaking. The believer's growth has more to do with the choices that he or she she makes about how much of God's word they're going to feed on, how obedient they will be to the word that God reveals to them as they study it and examine it and apply it to their lives. You see, the believer who takes responsibility for placing himself in the right surroundings, the believer who takes responsibility for placing himself in the proper soil, in the nutrient-rich soil of the Word, so to speak, who is careful to feed his soul with the spiritual-rich nutrients from God's Word, that person will yield a growth that is healthy for them and helpful for them and helpful and healthy for others. And they'll be assured of proper growth, which leads to protection from error. Protection from error, protection from false teaching, from false doctrine, protection from spiritual stagnancy. Protection from spiritual ineffectiveness, that believer who chooses to sink his roots into the soil, the nutrient-rich soil of God's word. Our Kent Hughes illustrates what can happen to those who don't mature in the faith or those who become stagnant in their faith and stray from the truth. Poignant illustration he makes, 25 years ago I was beginning the final stretch of my freshman year in college on the West Coast, he says, I was pleased and impressed with everything. But nothing impressed me more than one of my friends in Greek class. He was a senior and the complete collegian, student body president, captain and star halfback on the football team, big, handsome, with a ready smile, and quite intelligent. His family seemed to know all the Christian leaders in the world. To top it off, he was a nice person. I was impressed, really impressed. 
Due to circumstances, it was necessary for me to continue my education elsewhere after my freshman year, and I lost track of my acquaintance until a few years later when a mutual acquaintance handed me a copy of a student newspaper of a major California university featuring a front-page photograph of a professor posing nude in his classroom with some of his students, males and females alike. The professor was my old acquaintance. Subsequent articles in the Los Angeles Times revealed that he was the leader of a group of campus radicals and that, that now ex, ex, expounded a crude nihilism which had led him to write a book intentionally using bad grammar and filthy language. The university, noted for its tolerance of viewpoint, was trying to kick him out and later succeeded. How I sorrowed at the news. He goes on to say, Apostasy can come to those who appear to be the best of Christians. I have even seen colleagues in the ministry fall to the lure of what they considered deeper things. I remember one in particular who would no longer discuss the meaning of Scripture with me or others because he had a higher hermeneutic, by which he meant that because he meditated on Scripture so much, he could see truths that transcended grammatical and traditional theological interpretation. With self-proclaimed superior knowledge, he fathered a terrible legalism and led many into a false cult. I say that, I share that with you, because I want you to understand that none of us, none of us are immune to the dangers of falling into error. None of us are immune to being led astray by false doctrines and false truths. None of us are protected from the risk of sliding into stagnancy. None of us are immune to the danger. All it takes is for the believer to let down his guard and give very little concern for what feeds his soul, where he puts his roots down. That's why Paul gives the charge to the Colossian believers that we find in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Let's look at it together this morning. Colossians chapter 2, we continue our study here in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Colossians 2, 6. Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, Paul compares the Christian life to three things very common in our lives. You see them? A walk, a tree, and a building. Paul says in verse 6, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Now when you walk, you start at point A and you progress to point B, right? Unless you're, you know, you got your eyes closed or you're in the dark and you're not quite sure where you're going, but the idea is that when you go for a walk, you start at point A and you go to point B. You're going, to some, you're going somewhere, right? That's the point, isn't it? You're going somewhere as opposed to Standing still or being idle. Verse 7, Paul uses the word rooted and built up. Those words bring to our minds the images, don't they, of of a tree, uh, the image of a building being built up. 
A tree is a living organism that experiences growth, isn't it? True of the bonsai tree, right? True of the tree in your front yard, but they grow differently, don't they, because of their surroundings. A building begins with a strong foundation. It must, otherwise it won't stand, will it? A building begins with a strong foundation and materials are added to it to build it up into a strong shelter that can stand high winds and protect its occupants and endure storms, right? Now, in comparing our lives to a walk, we make the connection, don't we, that we ought to be moving from point A to point B, right? You go on a walk, you're going somewhere. Comparing the walk with the Christian life reminds us that we ought to be going somewhere in our Christian life, shouldn't we? We ought to be making progress. And when we compare the life of the believer to a tree, we make the connection that there ought to be deep roots. There ought to be some healthy growth. There ought to be nutrient-rich soil in which we grow, growing deep and growing up in Christ. And in comparing the life of a spiritually healthy believer to a building, we understand, don't we, that there is, first of all, a firm foundation on which we begin to build. And thereafter, progress is made, being built up in the faith. There's progress, there's maturity, there is growth. And with the building, there is protection from the storms. Protection from error. Protection from false doctrines. Well, we're going to look closer at these three metaphors, but first in verse 6, Paul begins with the word, therefore. You see it? Therefore. When you see the word, therefore, you know this, don't you? You know that uh, I've heard it over and over again through the years. When you find the word therefore in scriptures, always go find out what it's there for, right? Therefore, Paul says, and he is pointing back to and building on his teaching in verses 2 through 5. Let's go back and look at those verses. Colossians 2, 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, or what sounds like a good argument, but is not true, plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And then in verse 6 he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You see, the spiritually healthy believer should be maturing, should be growing, should be making progress in their walk with the Lord, should be protected from plausible arguments. As Paul says in verse 4, I say this in order so that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Why did he say that? Because at the time, the church was dealing with plausible arguments, falsehoods that sounded good that could lead people astray if they weren't careful. Therefore, Paul says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The spiritually healthy believer should be maturing. The spiritually healthy believer should be growing, should be making progress. They should be going somewhere in their walk with the Lord. But, first things first. First, you must receive Jesus Christ, the Lord, as your Savior. That's what Jesus is. Do you know that he is the Savior? He is Lord. 
That's salvation, isn't it? When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's, those aren't just fancy names and titles. Lord is a descriptive title, which means He ought to be, excuse me, the Lord of our lives. He ought to be the Lord of our lives. When you confess your sin and come to Jesus Christ in faith, did you give Him your life to Lord over it, to be the Lord of it, you see, that's salvation. And by believing in Jesus Christ the Lord, you are recognizing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And by trusting in Him, you are yielding to His Lordship in your life. Let me call that the foundation. That's the foundation. Those are the basics. That's the basic of our, that's the most basic understanding of our faith. We come back to that again and again. So Paul says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, as you began trusting in Jesus Christ, the foundation of your faith, it's in him that you are to be rooted like a strong tree. He is the foundation, so walk in him. Now why, after Paul says in verse 5, that he is rejoicing to see their good order and firmness of faith, does he go on to admonish them to continue in their walk with Christ? You know, sometimes we look at that and go, well, you know, why is he telling them again? He just says they're doing well, he's happy with them, but now he's admonishing them to make sure they do well. Well, he encourages them to continue on in Christ because he knows human nature. And human nature is prone to coast, isn't it? Human nature is to become stagnant, isn't it? Human nature is to lean toward the easy life. He encourages them to continue on in Christ because he knows human nature is prone to coast and take it easy. It's for the same reason that he said back in Colossians chapter 1. If you go back to verses 9 and 10, he says, And so, from the day we heard... Listen, he knows human nature. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We heard of the believers of Colossae. When we heard of you, we started to pray for you because human nature says you'll slide from those first things. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to, and here's the walk again, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, human nature is such that it leans toward lazy, doesn't it? If there's no pressure, if there's no deadline, if there's no paper due in the morning, believe me, I feel like that sometimes. It's Saturday and Sunday's are coming. Boy, how productive I become when I have to speak in the morning. You ever, were any of you like that in school? You had a paper due the next day? What does that adversity do to you? It makes you stay up late. You might be drinking Mountain Dew, you know, and staying there cranking, out, cranking away on a paper, trying to get it finished for the next morning. But it makes you diligent, doesn't it? Doesn't it? it makes you, it gives you some urgency. And human nature is such that it leans toward lazy when there's no pressure. Believers are prone to lean toward lazy in their walk with Christ when there's no pressure or difficulty to drive them to the Word and to prayer. You ever find that true in your life? 
that you begin to get lax in your spiritual walk because things are going pretty good. What do I need to pray for? Why do I need to read the Bible? i got things to do, places to go, people to see. Things are okay. Something happens. And you go, where's my Bible? I think I better pray about this. Right? I know that's true. Because I live that. Don't you? We do that, don't we? That's why we find similar admonitions from, from uh, Paul elsewhere, such as in 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Finally then, brothers... We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, hear it? You're doing well. That you do so more and more. You're doing it. You're doing well. You're following the Lord, just the things that we taught you, but keep doing them. And more and more, he says, right? So Paul says in Colossians 2.6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, salvation is just the beginning, and he knows that people need to be encouraged and reminded. It's good and necessary to have the, these reminders. So walk in him, says Paul. First, trust Christ Jesus the Lord. Make him Lord of your life. And then walk in him. Now, what is a walk in Christ? You might look at that phrase and say, walk in Christ. Walk in Christ. Is that like putting on, you know, walking a mile in his shoes? No, no, no. Listen. What's a, what's a walk in Christ? What's, what is this imagery that Paul uses? How can we walk in Christ? A.T. Robertson describes what that means this way. He says, stick to your first lessons in Christ. That's why I say you go back to the foundation, don't you? We need to go back to the foundation over and over again. You receive Jesus Christ, the Lord. He ought to be the Lord of your life. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He saved you from your sin. You didn't do it yourself. A.T. Robertson says, stick to your first lessons in Christ. The New International Version, I know some of you carry, says, continue to live in Him. Continue. Stay with Christ. Stay with the first things. Our walk with Christ has to do with our daily living, doesn't it? Our walk with Christ had better have something to do with our daily living. It ought not be what we just do on Sundays. How many of you walk one day a week? I mean, you don't get up, you don't get out of bed, you don't move, you wait till Sunday, and then you walk. Not if you're healthy. No, some people can't walk, right? But you, you move, don't you? You do some things, and you move about even if you don't like exercise. You do some things. Your body's in motion. If it's not in motion, what happens? Your muscles atrophy, don't they? You see, our walk ought to be a daily practice. Our walk with Christ has to do with our daily living, our daily practice of yielding to the lordship of Jesus in our lives. Paul encourages the Colossian believers to continue in the first things with Christ. Continue in the first things they learned with Christ. Continue to live in Christ. And he encourages them this way because he knows that some don't. Yeah. Some don't continue with Christ. Galatians 1.6, for example, I am astonished, he says, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now he goes on to make clear that there are no other gospels, but it's as if there was another gospel and you're turning to that one. That's the danger of not walking in Christ, being led astray. So we must be diligent to walk in him. That's a daily walk with Christ. 
Is it easy? No. It takes diligence, doesn't it? It takes commitment. It takes discipline. It takes a lot of prayer. In asking for God's wisdom and God's power, those who daily walk in Christ find that it affects every area of their life, though. When you daily walk in Christ, you will find that it affects every area of your life. It will affect your family relationships. And who among us doesn't need to have a walk with Christ affect our family relationships, right? It will affect your relationships with those in the community, with those in the workplace. When you go and do your work, it will affect the way you do your work and the way you work with others. Those who walk with Christ have something affecting the way they walk in the world, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, what happens when we don't walk in Christ? Well, you can liken what happens when you don't walk in Christ to what it's like to walk down a a rough path strewn with rocks and infested with roots from nearby trees. You ever try to walk down a path like that? You You don't do it quickly, do you, when there are rocks in your way and there are roots sticking up everywhere? You pick and choose where you're going to walk. Sometimes you trip over those roots and rocks, don't you? And the believer who doesn't walk with Christ daily, making an effort to remain in Christ, in your life with Christ, sinking your roots into the fertile soil of the Word daily, taking in the fresh air that you get when you pray and give God your problems. It's like walking down that rough path. For the life of that believer is lonely and difficult. Now, am I suggesting that there are no difficulties for people who walk with Christ daily? Absolutely not. The difficulties are still there. It's just that you have the Lord's guidance through them, around them, over them, in the midst of them. Are there difficulties for believers who walk in Christ? Yes, there are, but still those difficulties can be faced with God's wisdom that he gives you from within because you are indwelt by the presence of his Holy Spirit. It is Christ living in you that gives you the wisdom to bear up under difficulty that you face. For the one who walks through life's difficulties in Christ will have the guidance and wisdom that the Lord promised like he promised to the Israelites when they would yield to him. Listen to Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21 that says, And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right, when you turn to the left, hey, you're going to have, it's going to be as if for the person who walks with the Lord, you're still going to have obstacles. You're still going to have difficulties. But it'll be as if the Lord's telling you, This way, let me have your hand, child. Let me help you over this obstacle. You will have God giving you direction, encouragement, wisdom when you walk daily in Christ. What's the next piece of imagery Paul uses? You see it in the scriptures there. I'm going to combine the imagery of the tree and the building for a moment. He says in verse 7, rooted and built up in him. That's rooted in the foundation, Jesus Christ, and growing up and built up on the foundation of our faith, Jesus Christ. Now think with me for a moment about the roots of a tree. They say that the roots of a tree, you can look at a tree and look at the branches and how far out they go in in breadth and the roots 
are about the same underground in the width that they spread out underground. Think about that. What happens when a strong wind comes, a strong storm and swirling winds and and rough weather comes? What happens to that tree? You might lose a few leaves and branches, but what happens? It remains, doesn't it? Usually it remains because of the root structure. The tree is protected by the depth of its roots. The tree is protected by the breadth of its roots. And like the strength of a healthy tree with strong roots are those who are rooted and built up in Christ. We're able to weather the storms of life. Able to face the difficulties because we know that we're not alone. Because we have the Lord with us to strengthen and guide and encourage and embolden. Believers who sink their roots deep and walk with Christ, flourish. They're able to weather the challenge to the faith, the challenge to their beliefs, the challenge to the truths of scriptures. They're able to recognize and avoid a false gospel and false doctrine. So believers like that are well protected, aren't they? So how does a believer become well-rooted and built up? Paul says to the church that he wants them to be rooted and built up in him, that is Christ, and established in the faith. Do you see it? Established in the faith, he says. Now Paul indicates here in verse 7, established in the faith just as you were taught. Now being taught necessitates a teachable spirit, doesn't it? Being taught necessitates a teachable spirit. Those of you who are teachers know that there are some students who come to learn. And there are some students who come because they have to be there. The students who want to learn are are an enjoyment, aren't they? The students who are there because they just have to be there are a bit more of a challenge, right? My desire, my hope for you is that your presence today indicates your teachable spirit. Because you want to be here. Because you want to sink your roots deep. In Christ, in the words of wisdom from God's word. But we can never take that for granted, can we? We can't take that for granted. It's possible that we could come to our times of worship and the study of God's word and not have a teachable spirit. And here's what I mean. It's possible to come to our study of God's word with the attitude that, eh, you know, I already know all, all there is to know. What could I possibly hear that I haven't already heard? And I would say that that could be true, that you might not hear anything that you haven't already heard. For those of you who have been in this church for decades, you've heard hundreds of sermons, right? You've probably heard just about every sermon there is to hear. But I would caution you. For those who have been in the church for many years and begin to think that, that, that there's nothing new that they can learn from God's word, I would challenge you that that's a dangerous place to live. You see, that kind of an attitude assumes that there's nothing new for me. That there's nothing new for me attitude assumes that the message, and this is what I believe, is that when we say, well, there's nothing new for me, we're just saying, well, the message comes from the preacher. And what the preacher or pastor teacher has to say, eh, I've heard it before. And that may be true. When in truth, the truth that you need to hear and the faith that comes by hearing comes by hearing the word, okay? Not the speaker. And so though you hear me talking, my desire is that you would never come to hear me. 
that you would never come to hear me and what I could dream up during the week for you on Sunday morning, but that you would come to hear God speak to you. Should he choose to use me, amen, praise the Lord. But I believe he can speak to you in spite of me because I am I'm not perfect, am I? I am a sinner like you, right? You need to know that you come to hear God. That you don't come to hear me. You come to hear his word. That's why we know from Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing, right? And hearing through the word of Christ. It's the word of Christ that you need today. Don't ever turn off. When you get into the church and you say, well, you know, here comes another sermon. Oh, there's a passage I know pretty well. I'm done. No, you're not. Because God wants to speak to you. It's also possible that some might come with closed ears, right? With the attitude that says, I'm here because I have to be. My wife, I'm making her happy today. Let me just give you a hint. That doesn't make her happy because she can tell whether you want to be here or not. Or my, my husband, you know, I'm, you know, we're just trying to be a family, you know, and go to church. It's possible that you could come and say, go ahead, preach. It's all right. I'm, you know, I'm not listening anyway. Dangerous places to live, okay? So I say that learning and growing up in Christ necessitates that we be willing learners, that we be eager, that we be ready, available to be taught. Now, if we're going to establish, be established in the faith, we need to be ready and willing to be taught. We need to be willing to learn from those whom God gives us to teach us his word. I don't have anything new to tell you. I've told many of you before that often I'm just one week ahead of everybody else. You know, I'm just studying through the word like you are, and I'm, I'm here to learn with you, and I'm studying. I'm a, I'm a week ahead of you, okay, because I've been cramming all week, and here's what God says in his word. I hope to communicate clearly what God says. Not what I say, not what I think. But there is a point where you need to go and say, I'm going to put myself under the leadership, under the authority of that person that God has put in charge of my spiritual well-being in the public teaching and worship of the church. Now, there's also a heavy responsibility on that person. God holds them to a higher accountability. But we need to be willing to learn from those whom God gives us to teach his word. And I want you to let the emphasis here on what was taught, taught the Colossian believers be, re, be a reminder to us of the importance of keeping God's word central. Is God's word central in your life? Or is it a side issue? Well, and, and you, know how, uh, you know how people treat the word when they say, well, I know what God's word says, but. You ever catch yourself doing that? Well, I know what God's word says, but. That's a dangerous place to live, too, because there shouldn't be a but. I know what God's word says, and that's how we should live. Let the emphasis of what was taught to Colossian believers strike a chord with you today, of the centrality of scriptures in your life, the centrality of scriptures in your family, the centrality of scriptures in, in the church. God's word must be central in the church. It must be central in the home. God's word must be central. The reason our nation struggles today is because there are families all over this land who do not have God's word central to their lives and to their families. 
And it must begin in the churches. And it must begin in Christian families. If Christian families don't make God's word central, how will the world be impacted with the truths of God's word? God's word is what we need. It's completely sufficient to direct us in every area of our lives. You need to believe that. You need to understand that that's true. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And verse 17 says that the man of God may be competent, or woman of God, or child of God, may be competent, equipped for every good work. How do you become equipped? Get into the word. How are you protected from error? Get into the word. How do you make wise decisions in the workplace? Get into the word. How do you graze your children? Get into the word, right? Those who are faithfully placing themselves under the teaching of God's all-sufficient word are going to become more and more like Christ. And I want you to notice the natural result of those who are rooted and built up in him and established in the faith They will be abounding with thanksgiving, says verse 7. That's the fruit. That's the fruit of walking in Christ, rooted, built up, growing, established in the faith. The believer who is growing will be overflowing with gratitude. Matthew 7.17 reminds us that a healthy tree bears good fruit. You see, a spiritually healthy believer bears good fruit, and one of the good fruits they bear is an overflow of gratitude. Not attitude, gratitude, okay? An overflow of gratitude should be a natural result of a person who is day by day walking with Christ. That's one of the good fruits they bear. And we're going to take a more in-depth look tonight at the importance of thanksgiving in the life of, of the believer. There's, there's so much God's word says about thanksgiving and being a thankful believer. We looked at the joyful believer the last couple of weeks. Tonight we're going to talk about the thankful believer, the thanksgiving believer. Oh, how we need to be believers who are overflowing with thankfulness and thanksgiving to God for his goodness to us. So we'll talk about that more tonight. But I want you to note this. John MacArthur says this of believers who are abounding or overflowing with thanksgiving. He says, believers who are firmly rooted in Christ, being built up in him and established in their faith, will overflow with gratitude to God. I can't can't get over this. Your level of gratitude is an indicator of your spiritual maturity. If you struggle with thankfulness, It's an indicator that you need to get back to the word. You need to get back to the basics. You need to get back to letting God be God and Lord of your life. MacArthur says, A grateful heart for all God has given us in Christ will further strengthen our grip on the truth. Praise completes the circle in which the blessings that flow to us from God return to him in the form of our praise and adoration. By taking in the truth of the word, believers get a strong mind. By living out those truths, they receive full assurance that Christ is who he claimed to be. Assured of that, they can appropriate the riches that that are his legacy to believers and walk in him. As they walk in him, they will grow in him and become established in their faith. As a result, they will give praise to God. He's right. You see, the natural overflow of a maturing believer will be thanksgiving. 
to God for His goodness, for His grace, for His mercy, the more and more I dwell in the riches of God's Word, the more I'm overwhelmed with His grace on me. Oh, I have so much to be thankful for, don't you? I want to give you quickly seven rules for growth. Don't let the title scare you there. Seven rules for growth sounds really authoritative, doesn't it? I want to help you. I want to help you seek to grow and become daily established in the faith. This is not an original list with me. I don't know who wrote this, but it's very helpful. Just let me remind you of these things. A person who is born again, you know, a person who's born again starts a new life similar to that of a newborn infant. And here are seven rules that promote good health in babies that can be adapted and applied to a Christian's spiritual maturity. So let me just apply them to us as believers. Number one, daily food. Can you say, no duh? You know, daily food. But, but listen, take in the pure milk of the word daily. Study, meditate on God's word. Read the Bible in a year. That's a good thing. But slow down too. Dwell in the scriptures. Read them. Let them sink into your life. Daily food. Number two, fresh air. Pray often or you will faint. What happens if you don't breathe? Anybody want to experiment? Right? What happens if you stop breathing? Kerplunk. You pass out, right? What happens if you stop praying? What happens if you stop praying? You're disconnected from your life source. All right? Fresh air, pray often or you will faint. Prayer is the oxygen of the soul. Third, regular exercise. Put into practice what you learn in God's word. Learn it and live it, right? Obey God's word. Regular exercise. Number four, adequate rest. Rely on God at all times in simple faith. You know what? Sometimes we hit, we hit a rough patch or difficulty, and what we need to do is get, get back to the basics and remember that Jesus is Lord God's in control. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows about your struggle. And rest in Him. Adequate rest. Rely on God at all times in simple faith. Number five, clean surroundings. Avoid evil company and whatever will weaken you spiritually. Oh, how we need to be careful with this. Sometimes we think it's just people, but it's the, 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 the one-eyed monster in your living room. you got a one-eyed monster in your living room, the television, you know. It's ready to lead you into all kinds of things if you're not on guard. Clean surroundings. Avoid evil company and whatever will weaken you spiritually. Whatever will weaken you spiritually, get it out of your life. Number six, loving care. You know how important this is. Be a part of a church where you will benefit from a pastor's teaching and Christian fellowship. You need to put yourself under the teaching of the word, but you also need fellowship with other believers. Listen, I need you, right? And you need one another. No one individual can live the Christian life disconnected from the body of Christ. We need each other, don't we? Love and care. Be a part of a church where you'll benefit from a pastor's teaching, a Christian fellowship. Number seven, periodic checkups. You ever take your baby in for a checkup, you know, and get them those shots and things like that? Regularly examine your spiritual health. I hope that's what you're doing this morning. Examine your spiritual health regularly. Do it regularly. Put it on your to-do list. Put it on your calendar if you have to. Spiritual checkup this Friday. I'm going to 
stop and spend an hour thinking about, praying about, examining God's Word about where I'm at spiritually. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning, all of our worship this morning, all of the study of your word today has been so that we might grow up in Christ, so that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith, so that we might be rooted and grounded in love, so that we might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's why we're here, Lord. And so we ask for the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.